Hello and welcome back to Podcast from the Edge, my weekly effort at self-improvement and I also hope to be both informative and entertaining for your benefit. I told you last week I'd be back with an interesting guest this week and it was President Saul Ramaphosa's cabinet reshuffle last Thursday that triggered today's show. Ramaphosa moved quite a few people around, but one of the things he did was to scrap an entire department or a ministry entirely. We no longer have a Minister of Intelligence as our domestic and external spy agencies prepare for yet another overhaul. This one in the wake of the most appalling public violence and destruction in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng, and from which it may take decades to recover. My guest is Mo Sheik, a very well-known South African and often deep inside our evolving political story. Mo, you were once head of South Africa's Secret Service, the Foreign Intelligence Service, before falling foul of former President Jacob Zuma. And before that, you'd held intelligence positions under President Mandela and I think Mbeki, and held senior diplomatic jobs in, in Germany. You were the consul in Hamburg, which is absolutely my favorite place in Europe. And you were ambassador in Algeria. So I wanted just to ask you to start off with, because I want to talk about intelligence. Was there, in your view, an intelligence failure ahead of the looting and violence in July? And is Cyril Ramaphosa's response, in your view, so far adequate? Uh, Peter, thank you for having me. Uh, and yes, you're right. These are the most important questions we are facing as a country today. So let me attempt to answer whether there was an intelligence failure. In part, I would have to say, yes, there was an intelligence failure to the extent that they could not predict or inform the national executive of this impending action by uh, whoever organized this. And we can make the assumption that people close to associated with former President Zuma was behind the planning of this activity. Well, that, that is one of the most difficult things we have to grapple with in a democracy. Because in, in order for intelligence to know about these things, they would have to be using all their capabilities and all their monitoring abilities, et cetera, to do so. And in order to do that in a democratic country such as ours, they would have had to apply to a judge in order to be able to eavesdrop or monitor the messaging systems, et cetera. And I think that is where the checks and balances of our democracy sometimes prevents and intelligence services from knowing these things from happening. But I think the failure for me really comes into the sluggishness when the event started to happen, uh, the inability of the intelligence services to move quickly, the inability of the intelligence services to inform the national executive to deploy uh, in appropriate numbers, either the police or the military, et cetera, in order to prevent uh, the looting spreading to the extent that they happened. So for me, the intelligence failure was not necessarily in knowing beforehand, because they would have required to have gone through an entire judicial process to get the, the power to know what the plans were. But the failure was more when the event started to happen, 
the sluggishness of the intelligence services and the overall security services in dealing or coping with the matter. Now, that's the first part of your question. The second, the second part of the question is, for 20 odd years, in fact, from 1998 onwards, yeah. we introduced a system of intelligence which was not intended by what we had in 1994. And you would recall that in 1994, after years of negotiations and years of researching, in 94, 95, we designed a new intelligence dispensation for the country, which is based on the principles of coordination, clearly defined mandates, presidential responsibility uh, for the political uh, responsibility and control and direction to the uh, intelligence services, uh, a parliamentary committee of oversight, uh, the inspector general. So we built an entire system, which at the time, I must say, Peter, was best in class. However, in 1995, President Mandela appointed Joe Inklankla as the coordinator of intelligence stroke deputy minister. And the minister at that time was our minister of justice, Dalla Omar, who was responsible for the administrative control uh, and regulation of the intelligence services. So Joe, Joe Plantla would have reported to Dalla Omar. He would have reported, he would have prepared the documents for Dalla Omar, and Dalla Omar, having the delegated authority from the president, would have signed off on the intelligence services, things that are required for the proper and good governance of the intelligence services. But intelligence... This is, sorry, can I just in, interrupt a moment? So this would be rather like the British Home Secretary... Exactly. ...having the head of MI5 and MI6 reporting to him or her. Correct, but, but for the purposes of good governance. But the intelligence product would go directly to the president, and in our case, it would go directly to President Mandela. So the heads of our intelligence services... Yeah could approach our president directly with information. And at that time, we had the concept of the coordinator of intelligence. So the coordinator of intelligence was intended to be at a cabinet level, but not a member of cabinet. Yeah. So what happened was the Democratic Party, as they were then known, objected to Joe Plantler being the coordinator because he was a sitting member of parliament and from the ruling party as such. So instead of asking Joan Plantler to resign uh, his seat in Parliament and assume the position of the coordinator of intelligence, we amended the act. We amended the act that we just passed in 1995, and all the powers of the coordinator was put under the minister, and that began the process of unraveling of the original architecture that we had, which we designed in 94, 95, and you started to give the minister powers. And that started the process whereby every subsequent minister kept on uh, amending the Intelligence Services Act. And that led, in my opinion, to what I would call co-management, because you had the management of the intelligence services now by both the Director General of the Intelligence Service and the Minister. And this created all sorts of tension, all sorts of troubles, uh, and it really got worse 
in 2009, in September 2009, when President Zuma put all of the civilian intelligence under one agency and called it the State Security Agency. That was never the intention. We always wanted to separate intelligence. You have your domestic intelligence, you have your foreign intelligence, you have police intelligence, and you have the defense intelligence, all of which was to be coordinated by the coordinator of intelligence. So when President Lamaposa assumed the political responsibility of the intelligence services as he done last Thursday, well, it brings the intelligence services now back into the requirements of the constitution. And I think this is the beginning of the redesign of the intelligence services in the correct way. So you're hopeful? I am, I am very hopeful because what this will allow him to do with the national security advisor and the expert panel, it will allow them to bring in fresh and modern thinking about what should be the design of intelligence services now in the 21st century. And I think, and I think we should look forward to an exciting period of redesigning these services. In your, in your book, right, this is when you are working for Joan Lanza and he is still a coordinator. And uh, there's a cabinet committee that gets regular briefings, um, part of which you are the author. And you say that, that you, and Mandela attends these briefings of the cabinet committee on security and intelligence. And you say he was steadfast in his demand for credible, reliable, verified intelligence, devoid of any misinformation, rumors or falsehoods. Is there anybody still left in our intelligence structures even capable of giving anybody such advice? Bruce, there are, you know, in, in one sense, I think there are a lot of people with the right ethics and values in the intelligence services. Uh, unfortunately, those people are not in the higher levels of management, and I think this allows us to, to do that. But we do have a problem, and the problem we have is one of aging. Many of the senior people are now reaching 60s, reaching the, the retirement age, and new blood would have to come into the intelligence services. I was hoping that by modernizing our intelligence services as we tried to do in the 1990s, that we would be able to create an interest in the affairs of intelligence from our universities, from our computer scientists, etc. Yeah. Uh, and I think we, in a sense, have not completely succeeded in doing that. I mean, I know in, in France, they've just opened the University of Intelligence. Uh, I'm hoping that such things would happen in our own country. Uh, to take intelligence out of the dark arts, out of the the perception that it is, you know, only dealing with secret stuff uh, and only dealing with COVID action. Uh, intelligence is much more than all of that stuff. So part of the modernization is to bring intelligence into the light and the scrutiny of public debates, to academic uh, review, uh, to ensure that our universities uh, introduce intelligence studies as an academic discipline. Just come back, come back to the leader at the moment. I mean, so, so and, and I appreciate what you say about Sir Ramaphosa, you know, possibly beginning to reconstruct what was originally intended in the first place, and which has somehow become despoiled by politics and politicians. Um, 
But he himself, you know, if you have you describe Mandela being so keen on this information being precise and free from bias and all of that. Cyril Ramaphosa spent much of this year without a security advisor. So Charles um, um, Nakula was had been ill. Um, I don't know whether he went to work every day, but he he um, uh, he resigned. I think in February or March. Um, and wasn't replaced typically by Cyril Ramaphosa, who takes a long time to do almost everything. Um, and would that have would that have made him, in effect, uh, blind to what was possibly going to happen when Jacob Zuma was sent to jail, or would he have been relying on a regu regular briefing from whoever, from a minister, or does I mean, does the South African president get a morning intelligence briefing? Do you know? Uh, I'm, I'm aware that the intelligence community does produce what is called the national intelligence estimates or particular reviews that is needed for the president. Uh, I know it happened during our time. Uh, however, and this is why when you have a minister involved in intelligence, the, the minister competes for time with the president. Uh, amongst various other ministers. But the Director General of the Intelligence uh, would be able to have that kind of access to the President when the President requires that information because the, the, the Director General of the Intelligence, be it the NIA or the Secret Service, simply will inform the President's office that they need to see the President urgently on a matter. And, and the President therefore has much more dynamic interaction when you are dealing with the director general rather than with a minister. And for the reason is ministers are politicians. They would have to package what they know in a particular way and we would have political discussions with the president. Uh, and it's for this reason, I would say that having uh, no minister and rather the national security advisor, uh, because the national security advisor or the director generals prioritize the intelligence and not necessarily the political benefit that comes mm. from that intelligence. Go back, just go back to ministers and senior officials. If, if it makes sense to not have a minister of intelligence and for the intelligence services nonetheless to be properly managed and administered and to report perhaps to the president or some other minister who may be have a wider remit. Would there, in your view, also be possibly no need to have a minister of police, you know, if the police were properly run? I'm just trying to think of the British Home Office as my model here, because obviously all of these, you know, everything from immigration to policing to to intelligence passes literally through one um, one minister in the, in the Department of Home Affairs. I just wonder whether it would, whether if it makes sense in intelligence, why not in policing too? You have a, a strange situation at the moment in South Africa where the Minister of Police and the, and the, and the Chief of Police barely talk to each other. Peter, you know that the Constitution stipulates that we should have a civilian secretariat for the police. Now, it is rather unfortunate that the secretariat of the police uh, has, in fact, just has become a watered-down uh, mm. entity. I, I, in fact, cannot tell you well, who is the, the secretariat, uh, the civilian secretariat of the police, but it's in the constitution that we should have such an entity. And you'll recall also 
that in 1994-1995, we did have a very powerful and a very uh, effective civilian secretariat. Now, in the context of the civilian secretariat of the police, and if that institution was working, and if that institution was able to do all the things it needed to be done, then yes, the police minister starts to play a very different kind of role than what our current police minister is playing. Uh, and and there would be no need for our police minister to be referred to as a general, etc. Yep. Uh, and he would, in fact, be much more civilian in, in his approaches and less police force in his uh, approaches. So it's unfortunate that all the the proper institutions that were so detailed and researched was not, you know, uh, appreciated. Was not entrenched and not appreciated and not entrenched in, in the control of the security services. The same is the case with the defense. We had a defense secretariat precisely in order to play this interface between uh, what is needed for our defense. Uh, for the command and control, and what are the policy issues? Again, we seem to have dropped the ball in that regard. So these civilian these civilian boards have just simply disappeared or withered on the vine, and are presumably paying salaries to people who, who have really nothing uh, constructive to do. Yes, and and uh, I would say that it is unfortunate, uh, Peter, that the powerful institutions and really far-thinking institutions that we came up with uh, during our transition to our democracy. And remember, all of this was born in the 1991 period to 1993, and then saw its way into the legislation of the Constitution. It's really unfortunate that we didn't build on those institutions, which could have been our saving grace in these difficult times. For example, Section 204, of the constitution says, a civilian secretariat for defense must be established by national legislation to function under the direction of the cabinet member responsible for defense. The same thing is said about the police. A civilian secretariat under section 208 for the police service must be established by national legislation to function under the direction of the cabinet member responsible for policing. These are in important institutions for the continuous transformation of the police and the defense. It is unfortunate that they haven't been established in the manner uh, in which they were intended. And it's unfortunate that they do not play the roles that they should be playing today. Yeah. So, so as I understand it, and you probably have a better, uh, much more insight than I do. So what the president has done is he's drawn, he's, he's lost the minister, although he's kept a deputy minister who will now be in the presidency as well. Um, uh, Sidney Mufamadi will become his security advisor. And so Sidney Mufamadi recently um, completed a, a, a very thorough review of our intelligence services. I'm not sure to what extent it was ever really acted on. Um, and there's a task team of three people who are well known in intelligence circles and apparently are held in high regard. What would you, if you were the president, what would you do with these people and expect the intelligence setup to look like in, say, a year or two years' time? Well, for me, 
oh my God, this is the first time I could think like a president. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in charge. I would insist that the recommendations of the high panel uh, review committee be implemented as a matter of urgency, and that can must be done in six months. That the SSA must be split. And this is, sorry, this is Sidney Muhammadi's report, right? Yes, this is Sidney Muhammadi's report, right? And the work has been done. So he's there, and he's there right now, reappointed as security. So presumably his job is to make, is to do what he said he wanted. Yeah, okay. Correct. So that's the, the first thing. Uh, of course, Sidney Muhammadi, as the National Security Advisor, uh, if I was the president, I will tell him to get the entire structure of NICOC operating again, which is the National Intelligence Coordinating Committee. And the National Intelligence Co Coordinating Committee comprises of the domestic intelligence, the foreign intelligence, police intelligence, and defense intelligence. They, that committee must be established and must be meeting on a weekly or by a, a fortnightly basis. He must establish that uh, dispensation. The next thing he must do is get the legal people of, of NICOC, and that would be the police, the defense, and uh, the civilian intelligence to look at the National Strategic Intelligence Act. If anything needs to be modified in the National Strategic Intelligence Act, which essentially defines the mandates of the intelligence services, uh, that act must be reviewed. It must go to the Joint Committee of Parliament, the Intelligence Committee. So any amendments to that act must happen. Secondly, whatever amendments need to be done to the Oversight Act or the Intelligence Services Act to bring it in line with the new uh, dispensation, those things must happen. And I would give that a year, no more than a year for those processes to happen. Because whatever changes must happen, must happen in keeping with national legislation. Uh, once those things are done, I, will cons I would ask the National uh, Security Advisor, together with the expert panel, to ensure implementation of the dispensation. So a Director General must be appointed for SAS. A Director General must be appointed for, for uh, the domestic. And what should be interesting is a Director General appointment should we should follow the very similar process to which the head of the NPA was followed. There's no need for it to be a totally secretive uh, process. It can have an element of openness to it. Uh, I think we just need to monitor that, involve the parliamentary committee in it, so that when you appoint these heads of the intelligence services, it at least will have the acceptance of parliament, which is a multi-party committee. It will be accepted by the Parliamentary Intelligence Committee. And that is about creating legitimacy into our intelligence services again. And no, no more intelligence ministers. They're just not required. The, the, you know, Peter, let, let me read to you Section 209, uh, 1 and 2 of the Constitution. And, and it is so clear. Any intelligence service, other than in, in, in any intelligence division of the Defense Force of the Police Service, may be established only by the President as the head of the national executive and only in terms of national legislation. So in other words, you cannot establish an intelligence service by proclamation, which is what Zuma did. 
The SSA was established by proclamation. The constitution demands that it be established only in terms of national legislation where parliament plays a process. Secondly, the president as the head of the national executive must appoint a woman or a man as the head of each intelligence service established in terms of section, subsection one and must either assume political responsibility for the control and the direction of any of those services or designate a member of the cabinet to assume that responsibility. So the constitution's first preference is that the president assume that responsibility. And the second preference is that if he does delegate this function, he must designate a member of cabinet, not a member to cabinet, of cabinet. Yeah. And, yeah. It'll, be, and it'll be interesting to see the, the, the legal and the constitutional interpretations of this. But being someone who was part of the team that wrote these clauses in the constitution and sent it forward as a proposal to the constituent assembly, it was always intended that the president assumes the responsibility for the intelligence services, not a minister. Moshe, thank you very, very much for talking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing your voice again and a privilege to talk to you. Hopefully the president will hear some of this, along with uh, our other listeners, for whom I also thank for joining us. I hope you learned as much as I did, and I'll be back again next week. Keep safe, keep your distance, wear a mask. Bye-bye.